You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We're back on the Oz Network for another spoiler-free movie review for Pacific Rim Uprising, a.k.a. Pacific Rim 2, a.k.a. the movie that's been out for a week, and it's taken me a week to record an episode on it because I have a baby that screams 24-7. But uh, it's finally quiet right now, so I'll try to keep my voice down to keep it that way. My name is Colin, and the apocalypse was cancelled, but... We're uncancelling it because we have to talk about Pacific Rim 2, uh, a sequel to a movie that was so entertaining, so surprisingly entertaining uh, that they had to make a sequel to it. But it was tied up so perfectly that the sequel really doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, or I should say a sequel really doesn't make a lot of sense. So that's, I think, part of the fun that I'm going to have talking about this movie without spoilers is that I can't really go into details about how... They bring this uh, this world back, but um, it is uh, kind of clever how it works out. You'll have to see it for yourself, but um, I guess overall, just starting out with, uh, before my opinions on this movie, just history with Pacific Rim. Uh, I'm sure most people out there are probably at least familiar with the movie. I don't know if you want to say it's really part of this new universe of um, Kong and Godzilla and Mothra and Rodan and all those, but uh, there has been talk of crossovers, but this came out, uh, I believe, the year before they launched that universe with Godzilla. And when Godzilla came out, I think my opinion along with everybody else's was sort of, couldn't we just get more Pacific Rim? Or could they do it more like Pacific Rim? Because this was a movie that uh, the original at least really paid tribute to those classic monster movies the uh the japanese ones uh even king kong when it became part of like that japanese franchise you know which is one of the first expanded universes we saw but the original pacific rim was really a tribute to those types of movies even in the uh the the whole plot is really just about these giant monsters the kaiju which is the word that they're called in japan they don't call them monster movies they call them kaiju and the jaegers which are giant robots it essentially is transformers versus godzilla uh but as cheesy as it sounds, I mean, the first movie just really worked. And I think uh, uh, I was kind of surprised. I thought it looked good, but I was surprised at how good it was and, you know, how smart it was. You really shouldn't be surprised now because the the guy who made the original movie, Guillermo del Toro, just came off of winning the Academy Award for The Shape of Water. Uh, so it shouldn't be surprising that he could take something kind of cheesy and really make it work. But as I said already, the original Pacific Rim, which was really just dropping you in the middle of this war... It tied things up so neatly that you could have easily gone the road of making a cheap sequel. Instead, they spend an hour trying to talk their way out of the ending of the original. And how you start to wonder, you know, as this movie progresses, are they going to figure it out? But uh, the original really did just work as a standalone movie. So when they started talking about a sequel to it, I didn't really see it. They started talking about maybe the spinoffs with Godzilla that came out a year later. I didn't really see that. But... This is kind of the movie I never expected would have made the light of day because the original Pacific Rim, you know, despite being a big hit, it wasn't like a massive blockbuster. I mean, there there are a lot of other movies that have come out within the last couple of years that have done more business than Pacific Rim did, at least here in North America, that never got their sequels. And this is one that I think had more to do, obviously, with overseas business. It made a fortune overseas. And it's one of the first examples, I think, of a movie that could get a sequel just off the overseas box office and not North American box office. But also just, I guess, the word of mouth and people really taking to this movie once they eventually did see it for uh, Pacific Rim. So 
we're now five years removed from the original Pacific Rim, which I saw maybe uh, about a year after it came out. And again, really enjoyed. But when I started hearing about Pacific Rim 2, it wasn't just that I didn't see how they could make a sequel without cheapening the ending of the original. Uh, it just felt like one of these things that, yeah, they'll talk about it, it'll never get made. And I kind of had flashbacks as, you know, growing up, I think everybody who grew up in the 90s probably remembers Starship Troopers, which is one of these movies that when it came out, everybody hated. And now everybody's like, yeah, it kind of has this fun camp quality about it. It's like a cult classic. But Starship Troopers, you know, it, they took years and eventually they made a sequel to it. And they used, you know, an inexperienced director who was more a behind-the-scenes guy uh, who had never made a feature movie before. And I remember thinking, oh, man, Starship Troopers, I can't wait till it comes out in theaters. And, of course, it went straight to video. So that's kind of what I thought would happen with Pacific Rim. Uh, so for the last couple of years, as they keep talking about, you know, the, the Pacific Rim 2, and then they end up having Stephen Knight come on as the director who works primarily in TV. You know, I remember him from... Uh, Smallville. He worked on Smallville for years, but really worked a lot on all the different Joss Whedon shows. You know, this is his first movie, and I'm immediately getting flashbacks to these uh, these Starship Troopers sequels that ended up going straight to video. And I think I just kind of always assumed that Pacific Rim Two would be a trashy straight to video sequel. I'm kind of pleasantly surprised to say that uh, it, it felt just as big as the original. And while it's not as smart as the original, and uh, definitely not as original as the original. It, it kind of falls in a formulaic category. I mean, I still enjoyed it in some ways on the same level with Pacific Rim 1. Uh, and there are some problems with it I'll go over. But overall, I thought it was a blast of a movie. And it's kind of intended just to be cheap entertainment. I think that's where a lot of people are getting caught up. You know, they figure Guillermo del Toro did the first Pacific Rim. Uh, you know, this has to be some type of sci-fi masterpiece. But it's not because Guillermo del Toro made the first Pacific Rim to be trashy you know, tribute throwback to the, the Japanese kaiju movies. But uh, with this one... I guess I'll first talk just a little bit about some of the issues that it suffers from. Um, one being, I kind of mentioned at the beginning that the original Pacific Rim just drops you right in the middle of this war that's been going on for years. And the idea is in Pacific Rim is that these kaiju just, they cross through from like another universe or something and they just terrorize the earth. And that in order to combat that, they built these giant robotic suit, which are called Jaegers, that have to be piloted by two people whose minds are actually linked together uh, at the time they pilot these giant robots. And you get just these massive battles, which is a throwback to all the, you know, Mecha Godzilla and Mecha Kongs that they used to do uh, back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, but I guess the original, you know, it. It developed a bigger world, which I don't want to go too much into spoilers if people haven't seen the original, but you will have to see the original to get the second one because there are a lot of references to stuff that happened in the first movie. Um, there's a lot you have to understand about where these kaiju come from, even though I think it's briefly explained in here. Um, I did rewatch the original leading into this, so maybe it was a bit easier for me. I don't know how it would be if you haven't rewatched or if you haven't seen Pacific Rim 1 since it originally came out. But I kind of feel like it's something you should at least brush up on what happened. Although the movie does open with kind of a cold open where it just throws together the history of this world. Um, but the movie takes place 10 years later and we really don't have any other connection to it other than just that was history. I mean, the world has completely changed. There's been no attacks in 10 years. For some reason, the Jaegers are still out there everywhere. Um, that's never really fully explained. I mean, they kind of briefly say, you know, that there's other important things they have to do. 
But uh, the only characters we really get back from the original are, I guess, the surviving characters. There's the two scientists played by Bern Gorman and uh, Charlie Day, who were the most fun characters in the original. So I'm happy they're back. And then uh, Rinko Kikuchi, who uh, was one of the two pilots, or I guess one of the three main heroes of the original movie, the other ones being Charlie Hunnam and uh, Idris Elba, who are not in this movie. Um, spoilers, they die. <laughs> you, you probably can get that even from the first two minutes of this movie or the trailer. Uh, but then it's basically a whole all new cast, and everybody who's seen the trailer knows John Boyega, who plays Finn in Star Wars, is one of the new heroes. He plays Idris Elba's son. Uh, it's picking up ten years later, and they kind of keep his backstory. I guess they reveal it slowly uh, as it progresses. You know, the other main characters would be Scott Eastwood, who is Clint Eastwood's son, who is one of these actors that I just, I, I feel like he's going to keep getting these leading roles in movies, and there's just something about him that just doesn't click for me. Uh, I think he's definitely the weakest part of this movie. Uh, and then uh, the third character, which was surprising in this, especially for this big, violent guy's movie, is a character that I can only guess, uh, named Amara, who, who is supposed to be about a 13-year-old girl. Uh, very young character and she's one of the main action heroes in this movie which I thought I was absolutely going to hate when this started but I think she ends up being one of the better things about this movie uh, but those are your I guess three new leads and then you have those three original characters which I guess are I'm not going to say they're all throwaways I'm going to say one of them ends up being a complete throwaway and glorified cameo the other two still factor into the plot a little bit um and there's other background characters you get throughout this. But, I mean, it's basically those three leads. And the setup would be that John Boyega's character used to be a pilot, but he's gone. So when the movie starts, and this is one of the things I thought they could have explored more, was the first ten minutes of this movie, it's really showing you what happened to this world after the war ended in the original. And you see that there's these cities that have just been destroyed, and there's dilapidated buildings. And, you know, you have people that are called squatters. They identify them at the beginning of the movie. And John Boyega is one of them that just live in these rundown old cities right next in like, a, an old dilapidated building right next to, you know, a, a skeleton of a kaiju that's still remaining there. And that kind of lasts for 10 minutes of this movie. And that's how John Boyega's character meets the, the young girl, Amara. And then the movie just sort of, from there, becomes Ender's Game. If anybody saw Ender's Game, um, or you read the book, which is, I think, a very underrated movie and an amazing book, it's basically about young kids being trained as soldiers. And that's kind of what, I guess, the first half of this movie really becomes. Uh, and I was surprised at, I guess, how long they took to get to the point, because the first hour after that first 10 minutes just becomes John Boyega's brought back into the service after, I guess, deserting or something like that. And he's brought on to train these kids along with Scott Eastwood and they don't get along. Uh, but it really felt a lot like Ender's Game. And I think there's a lot of things that would work about that if Ender's Game hadn't already done it first. So the first hour does drag a little bit, uh, although it's fun. I mean, there's fun scenes, there's training scenes. That's, I guess the training has a lot of the connections to Ender's Game. Um, but... As far as the kaiju go, I mean, you've seen in the trailers the kaiju come back. There are battles between kaiju and Jaegers, but it really does take halfway into this movie. It takes an hour before that really happens, and they, they just kind of throw it at you when it comes out. Uh, but even when it does come out, it's a little bit different than you'd expect, and we can't really go into spoilers without you know, giving away why they call this Pacific Rim Uprising. You kind of have to see the movie to get it. But eventually the kaiju do come back. It's late in the movie, though. And then when they do come back, I feel like they wait even longer before getting the big battle. And I think that's one thing that even though 
there's probably some people who are turned off from it thinking the story's slow or whatever. It felt more like a classic movie, even more than the original Pacific Rim. Although the original Pacific Rim is a better movie, this felt more like a classic monster movie, you know, a Godzilla a kaiju movie than the others just because it played out traditionally. They introduce your characters, they have you know an hour or so of story building, then they introduce one big battle, and then you go for a little longer, and then you have 30 minutes straight of nonstop action. And that's the way that all the... I mean, I've seen every single Godzilla movie ever made. That's the the way that the majority of those Godzilla movies played out. And uh, although I'm referencing like the 60s and 50s movies, this has a lot more in common when I think the, the 90s Godzilla movies, even the way that they... People who are fans... Everybody who's not a fan of <laughs> all the Godzilla movies isn't going to get it. But the way that they even tag on like the final scenes of this movie, it's exactly the way that the 90s ones did it. Um, but it feels more like a traditional movie, so you kind of have to go in not expecting to see nonstop action at the beginning. But when they do start, when it, when it really gets into it for the climax, it is amazing. And um, there are a lot of bad reviews out here for this movie. There's a lot of fans who are saying, yeah, I was kind of disappointed with it. But I don't think anybody can deny it. When it gets to the action, it's fun. If If you are expecting something brilliant, you're not going to get it. But go back and watch the original Pacific Rim. I mean, the action was just as dumb. It was just as brainless. There's a lot of people who just compare this now to Transformers. Well, the original was kind of Transformers, but this is kind of smart Transformers. And especially we had the Godzilla movie, which I'm going to say you had Pacific Rim 2012. Godzilla comes out 2013. Godzilla is in like nine minutes of a Godzilla movie. And it takes, I think, even longer for us to get Godzilla in that movie than we get in this. At least with this, they do enough to keep you interested in the Jaegers and the Kaiju leading up to it. Uh, and there's more going on. This has done much better than that movie. And it, even in comparison to Kong Skull Island, I think Kong Skull Island, I might have enjoyed a little bit more. But I think for what this movie is, I mean, it had a lot, it had a lot more working against it because they did tie up the original so well. And they could have just gone the route and said, oh, there's a couple kaiju left that we didn't, you know, uh, account for. Or take the Independence Day resurgence route where they could have done something really clever. And instead it's like, no, it just took us a while to start fighting back. You know, in this, they really work, I guess, a complicated plot into how do we get them back if the war was ended and this breach was closed in the original. Uh, so I guess some points for this being a little bit original, but uh, still a bit of a slow build and everything. As far as the performances go, I mean... John Boyega is... I was a huge fan of John Boyega. I mentioned this on our uh, Star Wars previews. I was a big John Boyega fan before he was even cast in Star Wars because I saw him in a movie called uh, Attack the Block, which um, was uh, written directed by Joe Cornish, who worked with Edgar Wright, who did uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and The World's End. Uh, and I guess he was his collaborator, and Joe Cornish went off and did Attack the Block, and John Boyega was one of the main stars in that. And I just remember watching the movie thinking, like, this guy can be the biggest star in the world if he really gets a big break. And then a couple of years later, Star Wars comes out, and I'm like, that's the guy from Attack the Block I thought would be a big star. Yeah, I think he's definitely fun in Star Wars, but he's playing the polar opposite of what you'd expect. Here he is, I guess he's still a little bit cowardly like we get with Finn, but that's sort of the beginning of the movie. When it's really just all a build-up to him having these commanding moments as this big leader, the same as you know Idris Elba's canceling the apocalypse speech from the original. They give him his own version. It's definitely not as memorable, but he has these big commanding moments. And I think John Boyega, more than anybody from the Star Wars movies, I think has proved he has potential to be, I guess, the biggest mainstream movie star, more than Daisy Ridley or Oscar Isaac or... Uh, Adam Driver or anybody else like John Boyega really delivers in this movie and he's fun too and he's funny I think you know whether you like 
the overuse of humor in the new Star Wars movies or not, uh, whether you like the overuse of humor with Finn's character or not, he is great with comedy, and he has some hilarious moments in this movie too. Um, Scott Eastwood, I already thought I don't want to say anything else on Scott Eastwood. I don't see a lot of potential with this guy. I don't really get you know him as a movie star. Uh, the girl who plays the like the 13 year old girl in this movie, Amara, like. I'm not going to say she steals the show, but she's way better than she should be, which I guess comes down to the fact that she's not really 13. I think that's what would surprise me. I'm like, there's no way that you put a 13-year-old girl in an action movie like this, and she actually really does work. But I guess the actress is a little bit, I'm not going to say more experienced, but she's a little bit older than 13. So she has uh, maybe a little bit more she could bring to the table or understands uh, this these movies better than if you actually cast a 13-year-old kid, which is one of the areas where maybe Ender's game might have struggled. Uh, and then, of course, the characters you bring back, I mean, I can't say much about it without giving it away. Just they're exactly the same as they were in the original movies. Um, we do have a villain in this movie, which, again, I won't spoil who it is, but the villain was a lot of fun. And the villain was very over the top and you know, kind of steals the movie whenever he's on screen as well. Um, yeah, overall, I think it was just everything about this movie worked. And I don't really get the criticism because the criticism all seems to be people thinking that Pacific Rim is supposed to be something absolutely brilliant. And although the original for a genre movie really understood and took it to a different level, it still was a genre movie. And this is no different. It's just a little bit more typical, a little bit more cliched, uh, a little bit more generic than the original was, but it still has a great style to it. And Stephen Denight, he, you know, he's a TV director. So for his first movie, he did an incredible job, especially with a massive special effects movie like this. Uh, and I appreciate some of the things that they did differently this time around, like not going the the cheater's way out and just making a cheap uh, a story to introduce the sequel. Instead, they're like 10 years later, and we're going to make it a little bit complicated as to how they come back. And where they can go from here, I mean... I'm not going to say that uh, there is going to be a sequel or isn't going to be because the original should have never had a sequel the way it ended. And you know, this one maybe leaves it open a little bit more, but that probably has more to do with the fact that I already know, well, they can talk themselves out of this. They can uh, write themselves out of the corner that they are in, you know, based on how they end a movie. Uh, but the action, I think, really steals the movie here. Everything else up until, I think, that final climax, I was thinking, this is a rent-it movie. So getting into my rating of it, uh, if I had to pick, I would say th this movie... Well, before I even get into my rating, as I said, first two-thirds of this movie, I'm thinking, this is a good rent-it. Uh, the movie ends, and I'm like, I think I would rent this movie. This would be another renter. And up until now, we have the Oscar movies that we watched that came out this year. And those are movies that really came out at the end of last year. As far as like new movies that came out this year, everything has been good, but not great for me, like Tomb Raider, um, and so on and so on. But, uh, like Tomb Raider and Black Panther and so on and so on. There really hasn't been anything that's come out this year that I've absolutely loved. And even though I didn't absolutely love this movie, you know, I remember talking to somebody as soon as it was over, and they're like, oh, how was Pacific Rim? And I'm like, you know, it's the most entertaining movie I've seen this year. And their response was, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. What were the other movies this year like? And I'm like, well, everything else this year has been okay but slightly disappointing. This is the first movie I didn't walk out of it feeling slightly disappointed. You know, Maybe my expectations weren't super high the way that they were with Black Panther, 
Uh, I do think this is a more entertaining movie than Black Panther. It's not as original as Black Panther, uh, but I really just enjoyed this movie. There wasn't anything I didn't enjoy about it. And you re- you do have to go into a movie like this expecting to see kind of a cliche genre movie. Uh, but if you go in expecting that, I think that it's fun. And uh, it's this is the thing that can replace Transformers. Obviously, Transformers has sort of died now uh, with the last movie and maybe three movies prior to that that were all let downs uh, and they're just riding, you know, the merchandising and uh, uh, I guess the momentum that the original had. Uh, and now the Transformers is dead. I mean, this is the perfect thing to take its place because it's slightly different. It's uh, cool for people who did watch all those Godzilla movies and uh, Rodan and, uh, and we're going to get those anyways, but you got a little bit that, that kids can enjoy a little bit that adults can enjoy. You know, I walked out of this movie thinking, yeah, I can show this to my nephews. And it's too bad they didn't see the original Pacific Rim. Otherwise, I probably would have dragged them to see this and they could have reviewed this with me. But I'm thinking this is something that they could enjoy and it's also something that I can enjoy. It's not really targeted towards kids or adults. It's just sort of okay for everybody. It is a little bit violent. So if you're going to take kids, maybe not really young kids. But I wouldn't say that this is any different than Transformers, just that you can appreciate it more as an adult than you could with something like Transformers. Uh, only other thing I uh, really have left to comment on, as I said, I would buy this movie. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm going to rush out and buy this movie, uh, but just as my official rating goes, I think this is the first movie I've seen all year where I wasn't really disappointed enough with it, where I'm like, ah, it's a rented or it's a bin it. Yeah, I enjoyed everything about this movie, so it's going to be the first, I guess, movie released within 2018 that I'm going to say is worth buying. Uh, and the last thing that I really want to say now that that's over and done with is this whole crossover potential because I guess it's the same movie studio that does Godzilla and Kong Skull Island. And, you know, pretty soon we're going to get Godzilla two, which is filming. And then they're going to do King Kong versus Godzilla. And obviously if you watch Kong Skull Island, you see the, uh, the post credit scenes they're setting up for Ghidorah and Rodan and Mothra already. Uh, so there's lots of potential with this. Uh, but as far as crossing over with Pacific Rim, which I think was the original idea, we're looking at completely different timelines. I think it would be possible to do, but this Pacific Rim universe seems to exist. We talked about on the John Wick atomic blonde rumors of crossovers. When you're that far apart, I mean, you're either going to do, as far as the John Wick atomic blonde thing goes, you're either going to have Keanu Reeves as a, uh, I don't know, somehow having to be a 25-year-old man in a movie again, or you're going to have Charlize Theron as a 60-year-old woman. There's no way to have these cross over unless you're willing to either age one character backwards or forwards. Pacific Rim obviously take place decades after Kong or Godzilla. I think the bigger problem is that you have the Pacific Rim universe where these kaiju all sort of came through a breach. And now you have this Kong-Godzilla universe where they all just already existed on Earth. Why is this war a big deal? You know, People should have known about this already with the Godzilla attack or Skull Island and all that. So I really don't see a way that these could cross over. Um, and... To be honest, I'd rather they didn't because I think that Pacific Rim exists in its own universe and it also ex- it's, it works better in its own universe because it does feel like, you know, this is this war that started. It feels like Edge of Tomorrow to me. We have this war that started, it has a beginning point and it has an end point. And if they can keep this going for another five movies, great. But it really has to just start somewhere. And if you have monsters existing prior to that, it doesn't really work. But having said that, I'll also say I enjoyed this more than Godzilla probably on level with Kong Skull Island. So, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're all kind of 
bringing back this old genre for the past which has never really been done properly and i'm still waiting for that one that just completely blows me away but uh you know as a sequel to the original pacific rim i think this really holds up uh is it you know the the movie that's gonna make monster movies or kaiju movies as big as marvel no uh but it's way better than starship troopers 2 so <laughs> that's last final words to part on better than starship troopers 2 uh, so that'll be the end for Pacific Rim Uprising, uh, which, by the way, I saw on my birthday by myself, <laughs> not because I couldn't have anybody to go with me, but just because, uh, well, I didn't have anybody who would go with me, <laughs> uh, nobody who had money. Uh, but it took me about a week to get this episode out because of a crying baby. Uh, do you have a few more ones to talk about? Ready Player One is out now, so that'll be the next one. Hopefully within 24 hours, if I'm able to record the episode, we'll get a review of Ready Player One out there. And then also Seven Days in Entebbe, which uh, is a very small movie about a hijacking and terrorist attack in the 1970s. I just want to talk about more than anything because nobody's heard about this movie. And, you know, although I'm sure there are dozens of listeners out there uh, or hundreds of listeners, definitely not thousands of listeners who are going to listen to Seven Days in Entebbe with solo review of Colin. But uh, I'm interested to see if anybody out there would just take this review and go see a movie that's just it's small, but it's worth seeing. So at least two more reviews to come, hopefully within the next couple of days. Uh, and after that, we have regular TV shows, RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, back for a new season already. And we have some new contributors on board, um, who you may know from another podcast that they do, uh, which also they talk about Survivor. And speaking of Survivor, we will have Billy Garcia, who just finished an episode this week with Brian Corden, which is uh, one of the best recaps we've had this season for one of the worst episodes of Survivor this season, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, he's going to be taking next week off, so I'll be filling in, and hopefully I'm going to have a couple of guests. It may not be Survivors. Maybe some people actually out there actually said have said they like hearing uh, all of the old Survivor Oz crew talking about it, like myself, Ben, Noah, Kristen, Rossi, Jared, whoever else. Uh, so maybe we'll bring a big panel back to do this upcoming episode of Survivor. Uh, and coming up very soon, Avengers Month, because Infinity War is... I guess the time that we're recording this now officially four weeks away. So we will be bringing you three episodes, Avengers 1, Avengers Age of Ultron, and a preview of Infinity War, which will include, I guess, micro-reviews of every single Marvel movie up until Infinity War, which is sounds exhausting, but I'm sure we'll get it done in no time. Uh, so listen for those episodes soon, and make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on Stitcher, which is what I subscribe to. But we're out there on lots of different platforms. And leave us reviews, too. Uh, whether you love it, where you hate it. If you just want to comment on there about how I'm wrong about Pacific Rim, leave us a review for that. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Until next time, I thought that was going to be epic. It wasn't. Thank you for listening to The Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.